listen to this, if there's no virgin birth, there's no sinless Christ. And if there's no sinless Christ, there's no atonement. And if there's no atonement, there's no forgiveness. And if there's no forgiveness, there's no hope of heaven. Well, we're looking at Luke chapter one and we're gonna spend a little bit of time talking about that story of stories, the Christmas story. I wanna focus on two very well-known characters and see if we can uncover a few new things about them possibly. Mary and Joseph. Mary, hand-picked by God 
to be a fulfillment of Bible prophecy, but the other person the Lord picked, Joseph, to me is the unsung hero of the Christmas story, and by the way, Joseph was also used by God to fulfill prophecy. So let's reread that fantastic story that I never tire of, Luke chapter one, verse 26. Now the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin, betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, Hail, or greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. And then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and you will call his name Jesus. He will be great. He'll be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. In a reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, that Holy One who is born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who has been called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. And I love Mary's response. Then Mary said, Behold the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. You know, Mary, what a special woman she was. More little girls have probably been named after her than any other woman who has lived in human history, and justly so. Mary was the only person present at both the birth of Christ and his crucifixion. She saw Jesus enter this world as her son, and she saw him leave as her savior. Maybe the Lord chose her because he knew she would do what he asked her to do. Now here's something very important we don't wanna miss. Where was Mary living when this angelic message came? She was living in the city of Nazareth. I think one of the problems, if you will, of Christmas today is we've made it too beautiful. We, you know, with our horse-drawn carriages and our jo uh, snow gently falling and, and you know, and our, all the wonderful things we think of this time of the year, we sometimes take the nativity story and sprinkle a little too much fairy dust on it and almost treat it as though it were a child story, which it is, but it's an adult, adult story as well, but we forget that it's a historical event that actually happened. And I think when you peel off that veneer of beauty and get to the raw truth of what took place, it's actually a far more appealing story. So let's simply start with the place Nazareth. That's where Mary was living. Nazareth was a wicked place. And that brings me to my first point. Mary lived a godly life in an ungodly place. Again, Mary lived a godly life in an ungodly place. Uh, angels have been dispatched to wicked places before. They were sent to Sodom and Gomorrah, and they got Lot and his family out, and uh, Sodom and Gomorrah were known for their sin, and so was Nazareth. This was a place, how shall I put it delicately, where more than one girl would find herself pregnant because of the Roman soldiers 
And the young girls there, uh, these soldiers would prey upon these young women. Nazareth was so wicked, that's why when uh, Nathanael was called by Jesus and was told that Jesus came from Nazareth, he said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? That's why he would say it, like, are you kidding me? Nazareth? Nothing good has ever come out of Nazareth. That's where Mary lived when the angel came to her, and that's where the young Jesus grew up. But Mary shows it's possible to live a holy life in an unholy place. Mary was a nobody in a nothing town in the middle of nowhere. But God chose her to literally fulfill Bible prophecy because God uses nobodies to tell everybody about somebody. And look at verse, uh, look at uh, Isaiah 7:14. rather, tells us that she fulfilled scripture because the Bible says the Lord himself would give a sign and the virgin would conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel. You know, you wonder, Mary was probably a great student of scripture. That's certainly reflected in something we call the Magnificat or the Psalm of Mary that I'll mention in a moment. But she knew the word of God. You wonder if she ever thought, I think I'm gonna be the fulfillment of that prophecy. I seriously doubt that. But indeed she was to be, and what an amazing thing that was. Because here was a young unknown girl living in a relatively unknown city who was gonna bring about the most known event in human history. Mary was literally a fulfillment of a promise that God had made. And Christmas has a lot to do with promises. Going back to the very beginning. God promised Adam and Eve that a deliverer would come one day. God promised Isaiah that the virgin would conceive and give birth to the Savior. And God promised Mary she would give birth to that Savior. Evidently, God wants us to know he keeps his promises. The angel even affirmed in verse 37, every promise of God will surely come true. And listen, God has made a lot of promises to you. And we need to take hold of those promises. I've said before, promises are a lot like gift cards that are left unclaimed. I don't know about you, but I get a few gift cards this time of year. I have to say that I have quite a few in and out gift cards. And thank you for those, if you gave me one. I think people think that all I do is eat at In-N-Out Burger and uh, Krispy Kreme Donuts because I use them as illustrations. And by the way, if you've given me one of those, thank you, but please don't give me any more. And, and I'll be honest, I've re-gifted a few of those cards. I hope you don't mind because I would be 400 pounds if I used them all. But, uh, you know, I, I have these gift cards and sometimes I'll, I'll give them to someone else and there's some gift cards that, you know, go, well, that was very nice, but I don't know if I'm ever gonna go to this restaurant called Liver World, you know, it just doesn't appeal, but I don't get many like that. They're usually for great things and I'm appreciative of it. But sometimes I'll find a gift card like I did the other day to a place I like to go to and I forgot all about it. And I went, look, I have this gift card. Why didn't I use it? That's what the promises of God are like. They're just sitting here in the Bible. And we don't read the Bible so we don't know the promises or we read the promises and we don't believe the promises but we need to read it, believe it and start living these promises out. Christmas reminds us that God keeps his promises and he certainly kept it with Mary. And she was surprised and humbled that God would choose her. Look at verse 29. When she saw him, this is Gabriel, she was troubled at this saying 
and wondered what kind of greeting this was. This word trouble could be translated disturbed, confused, and a failure to function. Listen, if Gabriel showed up, something big was about to come down, and indeed it was. And so she, she couldn't function, just stunned. She's standing there like, what, what is happening? Why is this angel here, and why is he saying this to me? I've done nothing to merit this, bringing me to my second point. Mary was honestly surprised that God had selected her and not someone else. She was honestly surprised that God had selected her and not someone else. She might have said, well, it's about time. Someone noticed my godly lifestyle and singled me out. No, she didn't think that at all. She was stunned that she would be given this privilege. And now look at what Gabriel says in verse 31. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth the son and you shall call his name Jesus and he'll be great. And he'll be the son of the highest and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And I love this. Mary agreed and said, I'm willing to do whatever God wants. Then Mary offers that Magnificat, as it's sometimes called, the Psalm of Mary. And in Luke 146, she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. How I rejoice in God my Savior. He took notice of this lowly servant girl. And now generation after generation will call me blessed, for he the mighty one is holy, and he has done great things for me. Bringing me to my third point, Mary obeyed and magnified God. She obeyed and magnified God. She could have said, I don't wanna do this, Lord, because she knew a lot of people were not gonna believe what she was about to tell them. She lived in Nazareth, a city known for immorality, and she was now gonna tell them, oh, yes, I'm pregnant, but it's not what you think. I'm the fulfillment of Bible prophecy. I'm the mother of the Messiah. Uh-huh. She knew that was gonna happen. She knew she was gonna have to live with that reputation, and here's what's challenging. If you've sought to be a godly girl, or for that point, a godly guy, and you've tried to be moral, and do what God wants you to do, and then you had the reputation of a girl that gets around town, if you will, a loose woman, that's a hard thing to have to bear when you've actually lived a life that's a very opposite of that, but she had to live that way for the rest of her life. But she obeyed and magnified God. I love how she magnified God. In my book, Johnny Cash, The Redemption of an American Icon, I talk about Johnny's hard scrabble beginnings to his initial ascent up to the point where he was having all kinds of troubles, ranging from being arrested to wrecking cars to just making a mess of all the success that he was experiencing. But here's the big story that God can redeem a life. No matter how you're living your life out right now, and maybe you've made some mistakes, and you've done some things that you're ashamed of, this book shows that God gives second chances. This is a story of redemption. If God can redeem a person like Johnny Cash, certainly he can redeem a person like you. Now, let me close with a few thoughts about Joseph. I do think in many ways he is the unsung hero of the Christmas story. There are very few songs about Joseph. There's not a song called Joseph Did You Know, right? <laughs> and we, we hear that song, you know, silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. 
round yon virgin mother and child. Okay, great, but wait. Joseph was there. Didn't he ever hold the baby Jesus too? Not even one line about him, but he's sort of forgotten and ignored. But I, that's my fourth point. God chose Joseph as surely as he chose Mary. That's very important. God chose Joseph just as surely as he chose Mary. And listen to this. God the Father in heaven chose Joseph to be a stepfather or father figure to Jesus on earth. I mean, what a privilege. God says, okay, Mary, you're the mother. You'll carry the Son of God in your womb, but there's gonna be a father figure for this boy when he's growing up. And I gotta find just the right guy. God picked a man's man. He's a carpenter. A carpenter knows how to put his back to a task. He knows how to build things, take things apart. He has a strong work ethic. And the Lord said, I want that man to be the father figure, the stepfather, if you will, of Jesus Christ as he grows up. Another thing that carpenters do is they fix broken things. And what a privilege Joseph had to be there. But now, of course, when the Lord told Mary she's gonna have the child, she's thinking, how am I ever gonna explain this to Joseph? You know, when she told him, he's like, eh, yeah, right. And he was about to put her away privately. Like, he loved this girl, but it's like, Mary, I'm sorry, I can't go there with you, but the Lord had that covered. And he came to Joseph as well. And this is over in Matthew. I'll just read it to you. But it's Matthew 1, 20. When, while Joseph was thinking about these things, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take to you marry your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit and shall bring forth the Son and call his name Jesus, and he'll save his people from their sins. Now, <clears throat> just as easily as Mary could have said, no, I, I, I don't want to do this, Joseph could have said no. Now, I know you're an angel and all, but when I go down to the work site tomorrow morning and I tell the guys that my fiance is pregnant, but she's the mother of the Messiah, they're never gonna believe it. But he was willing to obey the Lord as well. And God used him in an incredible way. You know, Joseph fulfilled Bible prophecies as well because an angel of the Lord spoke to him in a dream after Jesus was born and told him to flee from Herod to Egypt. Joseph did not hesitate. He did not wait until morning. He trusted God and he moved. And after Herod died and after hearing from God in his dreams, Joseph returned back home to Nazareth. And that was important because scripture said the Messiah would be called out of Egypt and that the Messiah would be called a Nazarene. So Joseph's actions not only protected his wife and adopted son, but prepared the way for God to fulfill many more prophecies. So we gotta give him his due, man. This guy played a significant role as he was there in the life of Jesus. Now, let me close with this thought. And that's a preacher's way of saying I'm gonna go 20 more minutes because thoughts are long, but I won't go 20 more minutes. But let me close with this idea. Some would say, well, you know, the whole virgin birth thing, I mean, is that really that important? It's kind of hard to believe, isn't it? I've even heard some preachers say, you don't have to believe in the virgin birth of Jesus to be a Christian. You just need to believe in his death and his resurrection from the dead. I would beg to differ because of what value is the death and resurrection of Jesus if he were not supernaturally conceived? Listen, by being conceived miraculously in the womb, it means that Christ 
did not have the sin nature. See, if he had the sin nature, then he was just like anybody else. But no, he was supernaturally conceived. He was fully God and fully man. Listen to this. If there's no virgin birth, there's no sinless Christ. And if there's no sinless Christ, there's no atonement. And if there's no atonement, there's no forgiveness. And if there's no forgiveness, there's no hope of heaven. You take away the virgin birth and you lose everything. So it's essential to believe this, along with everything else that the Bible teaches, because this happened as the Lord had appointed it to happen. The birth of Jesus Christ was such a significant event, but let's just close with asking, why did he come? Well, there's many things I could say that the Bible tells us about why Christ came, but just let me give you a couple. Number one, Jesus came to be born in the manger, and to die on the cross, and to rise from the dead, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus himself said in Mark 10, 45, the Son of Man, speaking of himself, did not come to be served, but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many. Secondly, Jesus came that we might have life in all of its fullness. Yes, it is the promise of life after death, and what a glorious promise that is. But it's also the promise of life during life because Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and that more abundantly. You know, Christmas marks our life. And we look at Christmas and we think of last Christmas. And we remember loved ones that were with us last Christmas that are not with us this Christmas. There's just something about the whole Christmas season. It, it, it causes us to think about these things and we think, wow, they were here with me last year sitting next to me in church or I saw them and now they're not here. Yes, because their life has passed, but if they were a believer, they're now enjoying to the fullest the unspeakable gift, the eternal gift, the most valuable of all gifts. So we wanna make every effort to get that gift into the hands of every loved one we have and make sure we've leveraged every opportunity to share our faith. Don't be compromised by what is around you or be intimidated by it or be afraid to share what you believe. Be like Mary and live that godly life in the ungodly place. And when you gather together with family and friends for Christmas, and not all of your family is Christian probably. In fact, for some of you, you may be the only Christian. But uh, when the meal is being served, and maybe they set their drinks down and say, well, we, why don't you go ahead and do that <laughs> prayer thing to the men upstairs. Thank you, I'd be happy to. Seize the moment, my friend. You have the floor. One of the great things about doing that prayer is most people don't interrupt prayers. There are exceptions, of course, because Uncle Harry gets very drunk sometimes. <laughs> but generally, they won't. Well, let's all pray. And you thank the Lord for your family, and you thank the Lord for the meal, and you thank the Lord for the baby being born in the manger. Yes, do all that. But then you could thank the Lord that the baby grew to be a man, and he died on the cross, and he rose from the dead. And we can know him. And then you might say, and while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, <laughs> Uncle Harry, I'm talking to you. <laughs> Uncle Harry, if you would like Jesus to come into your life, would you just raise your hand while we're praying? 
you know. Now, I'm, I'm not suggesting do that. But do something sort of like that. You hear what I'm saying? Do something sort of like that. Take advantage of the opportunity and leverage it for God's glory. Because we want people to have this unspeakable gift that we have. The message of Christmas is Emmanuel. God is with us. He's with you in your pleasure. He's with you in your pain. He's with you wherever you are. And he has everything that you need. Even if you're a nobody in a nowhere town, living in the middle of nowhere, you're known to God and you're loved by God. Maybe God has spoken to your heart and you have seen your need for Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the Son of God who came from heaven to this earth. He was born in a manger. He died on a cross. He rose again from the dead. Why? Because he loves you. And he wants a relationship with you. Listen, I'm not talking about religion. I don't want to be a religious person. I don't think you want to be one either. I'm talking about relationship with God. Jesus, who died and rose again, stands at the door of your life and he knocks and he says, if you'll hear his voice and open the door, he will come in. Question, have you asked Jesus Christ to come and live inside of you? You might say, well, I, I think so, I'm not sure. Hey, if someone moved into your house in the middle of the night, do you think you would be aware of it? I'm sure you would. And in the same way, if Christ has come to live inside of you, you will know. And if you don't know, maybe he has not come in yet. He's just a prayer away. All you need to do is say, Jesus, I want this relationship with you. I want you to forgive me of my sin. I want to go to heaven when I die. Would you like to do that? Would you like Christ to come into your life? If so, why don't you just pray this simple prayer with me? You can pray it out loud or you can pray it in the quietness of your heart. But this is a prayer where you're asking Jesus Christ to be your Savior and Lord. Pray this with me now. Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner, but I know that you're the Savior who died on the cross for my sin and rose again from the dead. Now come into my life. I choose to follow you from this moment forward. Thank you for hearing this prayer and answering this prayer in Jesus' name, amen. Did you just pray that prayer with me? If so, I want you to know in the authority of Scripture that Christ himself has come to live inside of you. And I would love to send to you at no charge something called the New Believer's Bible. It's a very friendly translation of the New Testament. You'll find very understandable. And it's filled with hundreds of notes that I wrote that will encourage you in this commitment you've just made to follow Jesus. Let me send that to you at no charge. And let me be the first to say to you, congratulations and welcome to the family of God. Hey, Southern California, Greg Laurie here. You know, there's nothing like gathering together in person to worship the Lord and hear the Word of God. And I want to personally invite you to live worship at our church campuses. There's two you can choose from. Our service times are 9 in the morning and 11 in the morning. So join us as we meet both inside and outside every Sunday morning. 
In my book, Johnny Cash, The Redemption of an American Icon, I talk about Johnny's hard scrabble beginnings to his initial ascent up to the point where he was having all kinds of troubles ranging from being arrested to wrecking cars to just making a mess of all the success that he was experiencing. But here's the big story that God can redeem a life. No matter how you're living your life out right now, and maybe you've made some mistakes, and you've done some things that you're ashamed of, this book shows that God gives second chances. This is a story of redemption. If God can redeem a person like Johnny Cash, certainly he can redeem a person like you.